Uh, my name is Matt Howe. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Um, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you before, I'd love to do that um, down front here after the service. Just come on by and um, say hello. Uh, we are in week five of a six-week Lenten series on the book of Jonah. So you know what that means. That means Easter is just right around the corner. So hopefully you've already uh, made some plans. I know Forest Hills has got one more week. Um, they're, they're persevering. And uh, then there'll be spring break, but hopefully, even though spring break is also Holy Week, ho- hopefully there'll be some opportunity for you to be here. Um, we have some great Monday Thursday services, Good Friday services, Easter services planned. Uh, so hopefully when you're in town, uh, you can be a part of those for sure. But we're not quite done with Jonah yet. And so uh, if you'll remember way back to week one, you'll remember that God um, called Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh needed some help. But Jonah, of course, resisted. Instead, Jonah boarded a ship to Tarshish. Jonah did not believe Nineveh deserved God's mercy. He was kind of like, you know what, just let God send someone else. There's got to be someone else who'd be willing to take on this task. But God didn't want to send someone else. God wanted Jonah to go. And so we saw in week two where he sent an incredible storm that put the ship and everyone on board, including Jonah, at risk. The men on the ship did everything they could, but when nothing else worked, they agreed to toss Jonah overboard. The second Jonah's feet hit the water, the wind and the waves, the Bible tells us, became calm. This, however, was only the beginning of Jonah's problems. Jonah was in the middle of the open sea, destined to drown, but God spared Jonah's life. He sent a giant fish to swallow Jonah up. And then in week three, we saw how while in the belly of this fish, Jonah prayed a prayer of repentance. He understood that the Lord has spared his life and asked God for a second chance, which God granted him. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. And then in last week, we saw where the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Only this time, Jonah listened and obeyed God's instruction to go to the great city of Nineveh. Jonah declared and delivered the message that God had given to him, and the people of Nineveh, the Bible tells us, turned from their wicked ways in hopes that God would spare their lives. Well, God did just that, and that's where we pick up our story this morning. So this is Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And so he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, when I read that question, I have to wonder about God's tone. I mean, I assume God has tone of voice, right? Just like we do. And I'm thinking it probably was more like this. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? (laughs) Really, Jonah? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. 
Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and it made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And the Bible tells us that Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I think he's already said that once. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. One of the odder endings in Scripture. But to be honest with you, I kind of love it. In the first three chapters of Jonah written by Jonah, (laughs) we see Jonah experience God's grace in several ways. We see God's grace pursue Jonah through the storm, the captain, the sailors, and finally, the great fish. We see God's grace capture Jonah through his prayer. We see God's grace give Jonah a second chance. In chapter 3, we read about how Jonah goes to Nineveh, and his preaching is incredibly successful. Repentance happens in Nineveh. People are repenting left and right. Everyone from the king to the commoner is repenting. Revival breaks out in Nineveh, and you would think that Jonah would be happy about this. I mean, surely I as a preacher would be thrilled if I preached a message of of God's mercy and how people needed to turn from their sinful ways and turn back to God and the entire room decided to repent and to turn from their sin. Surely I would be happy about that. No, not Jonah. Instead, the Bible says that he burns with anger. Jonah of all people, is angry at the Lord's compassion. This time, God's mercy has gone too far. How can he be a God of justice and let the people of Nineveh go unpunished? Well, God can do this because that's who God is. Listen to the words of Psalm 103. Verses 8 through 12, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Praise be to God. God is a compassionate and gracious God. And in this case, God is compassionate 
and he is gracious. God's anger has ceased, but Jonah's anger has just begun. Or, or maybe better said, it has finally exploded. Because instead of running, Jonah prays. And in his prayers, it is revealed for the first time the true reason for his running from God in the first place. Jonah knew when God had called him for the, for the first time to go to Nineveh, the capital of Israel's army, Assyria, that they, Nineveh, deserved judgment. But in preaching about God's judgment to them, Jonah knew that there was at least a possibility that they might repent. And knowing God's character like Jonah did, he was convinced that when they did, God would show them mercy. And Jonah didn't want anything to do with that. So he says he ran. Jonah cannot stand the fact that God is good, that God is full of grace, that God is full of mercy. He cannot accept a God who just throws away grace to anyone who asks. Apparently, God's mercy could extend to Israel, just not Israel's enemies. Now, we have to have standards. Jonah is so angry, in fact, that he says he wants to die. Why would he say that? Well, isn't it obvious? God is not at the center of Jonah's life. What is? Israel. Israel is at the center of Jonah's life. To Jonah, God's mercy to the Ninevites meant an end to Israel's favored standing with God. He was ready to discard his relationship with God simply because he cannot get his own way. If he had to choose between God and Israel, he would probably choose Israel. In Christian circles, we call this idolatry. And listen to me, we should all be loyal to our nation, but not above God. Once there was a change of heart in Nineveh, Jonah should have gone back into the city to teach the residents about God. Oh, you've repented? You've turned? Let me tell you more about him. Let me tell you more about his character, about his heart. But not Jonah. Jonah leaves town. He leaves town and he goes to a high place to watch and see if maybe, just maybe, God will change his mind and rain down destruction after all. Jonah was hoping to see Nineveh destroyed. Jonah's idolatry ran deep. So, a question this morning. What are our idols? What are our struggles? What are your idols? What are your struggles? What is it that we allow to come between us and our relationship with God? For some of us, maybe it's selfishness. For others, it's pride. For others, it's this sense of entitlement. Jonah struggles with self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a common human condition. We talk about God's grace as a free gift, but really we believe in our heart of hearts that it has to be deserved or at the very least earned. Despite Jonah's behavior, despite his bad attitude, despite his hard-heartedness, God is still compassionate toward him. Again. <laughs> In verse 6 of the scriptures, it says that God provided a leafy plant, 
which grew up and gave Jonah shade from the sun. At last, Jonah thought, something is finally going my way. The scriptures tell us that Jonah's very happy with the plant. And I might say, I might dare to say that he's maybe a little too happy. That maybe that self-righteousness again started creeping in. And so what does God do? He sends a worm to eat the plant. He sends a scorching east wind. And Jonah's like, are you kidding me? I can't catch a break. <laughs> again, he says, I just want to die. Well, it looked like Jonah had a change of heart on the ship, in the belly of the whale, under the plant. But clearly there is still so much for him to learn. And I, and I look at this story, and I've heard this story time and time and time again over my life. And every time I, I've, I've, just, I've looked at the life of Jonah and I said, Jonah, you're an idiot. Like, really? I mean, don't you get it? Like, don't you see the great things? I mean, unexplainable things that God has done for you in showing you mercy. Can't you just see it? And yet, all you can do is focus on yourself. Ah, Jonah. And then this week, God's like, ah, Matt. <laughs> I'm like, crap. Again, it's happened where I've seen myself in Jonah because time and time again, God has pulled me out of the storm, out of the belly of a whale and provided for me a leafy plant and I have thrown it back in his face. And I've said, mm, but God, you know, this thing in my life, well, you could still work on that because it's not quite what I want it to be, right? The grass is so much greener over there. Why do we do that? Why do we get so, so stuck in our self-pity, in our self-righteous behavior. Man, Romans 7, verses 14 through 16. This is the message transliteration. It says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself, after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. I mean, Paul's conflicted here, man. He's like, why do I keep going back to that Jonah status? Why do I keep reverting back? I, I see what I'm supposed to be doing. I see how I'm supposed to be living. I see that I should be nothing short of grateful and thankful for all that he's done for me. And yet, here I am. As much as we would like to think so, we are not instantly sanctified. God uses storms. God uses whales. God uses plants to teach us more and more about God's nature. God is not apathetic. God does not remain quiet. God says to Jonah, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. This vine sprang up overnight and died overnight. This vine has fleeting value. This vine means nothing. 
Nineveh, on the other hand, Nineveh has 120,000 people. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Should I simply not care about 120,000 people? People, by the way, which I created in the first place? Jonah weeps over a plant. God weeps over people. But you see, as long as our eyes are fixated on the plants, we will fail to see the people. God wants Jonah to know that he loves us, not because we deserve it, but because he chooses to love us. Here's the question we often ask ourselves. What matters most to me individually? Or what matters most to us collectively? When what we should be asking is this. What matters most to God? You see, what matters most to God should be that which matters most to us. And truth be told, we know what matters most to God. People. People matter most to God, and therefore people should be that which matters most to us. Listen to these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Because then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Assignment given. Orders received. Like Jonah, we have a hard time reconciling God's justice with his mercy. His holiness demands he punish evil. We either believe that God smites all sinners or that he forgives everyone regardless. How do we hold on to both God's judgment and God's mercy? Well, Jesus tells us. Better yet, Jesus shows us. On the cross, God both judges evildoers and forgives them. On the cross, the justice of God exacted full punishment for sin and in the same moment provided mercy and salvation to all. The same reason that the story of Nineveh bothered Jonah is the same reason that the story of Jonah bothers us. No matter how much we want it for ourselves, we struggle to see how God's grace could be made available to others. Jonah ends abruptly with a profound question about compassion. God says, 
should I not be concerned? Should I not be concerned? We are left to answer that very same question. Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you. It's to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. One of the most important commands Jesus gave to us, the most important command that Jesus gave to us, is to love. To love everyone as he has loved us. God wants none to perish, but desires all to come to saving faith in his Son. God wants to use us to help others see how loving and compassionate he is. We all need to have a heart for the lost as he does. So many things will serve as a distraction to this. So many things will try to pull us away from from this assignment, from these orders. The most obvious ones include things like work, school, homeownership, hobbies. The less obvious ones include things like personal agendas, pride, pride and prejudices. Also one of my wife's favorite movies. Are you concerned with people? Do you value them? Do you rank them? Is that you? Are you concerned with people? Do you value them? Do you rank them? Do you think God does? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. And because he doesn't, he did a really great thing for us. He went to the cross. This morning we have um, some young people, some third graders who are in here, third and fourth graders, some, some uh, children who went through uh, and what I think is just an awesome uh, offering here at Anderson Hills uh, every year. It's our third grade communion discovery. Um, and so if you're a student here this morning and you went through uh, communion discovery on Friday night, we just want you to stand because we want to say hello and recognize you. So stand up. It's hard to see them because they're short, all right, but they are standing, okay? Yeah. So they're going to be um, taking communion maybe in a little bit different light this morning, some, some for the first time, but uh, that's a really awesome thing. And, and if you've never been, uh, never had the opportunity to go through communion discovery, I would really encourage you to do that. If you don't have a kid who will be, in, like your kids are all older than third grade, then just borrow a kid, okay, for next year. <laughs> go find a neighborhood kid or something like, hey, are you in third grade? Come with me, we're going to communion discovery, right? Because it's very educational. I mean, Sharon and her team and, and now Dana and her team, they, they do a great job. So absolutely. So this morning we all celebrate uh, Holy Communion together, the sacrament uh, that Jesus left for us in the bread and the cup, the bread in which he took at the meal, the Passover meal with his disciples and blessed and broke and gave to each one of them and said, disciples, this is my body. This is my body, which is broken for you. And likewise, took the cup at the end of the meal and said, this cup represents my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant between me and my people. And whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, do it in remembrance of me and do it until I return one day again to do it with you. Let us pray.
God, we just pray your blessings to be poured out upon these gifts of bread and juice. And God, may they be for us today the body and blood of Christ, broken and spilled for us on that rugged cross. God, we thank you for rescuing us from the storm, for rescuing us from the belly of the whale, for providing leafy plant after leafy plant after leafy plant. God, help us to see the incredible love that you have for us, but not just us, for all people. For all people everywhere of all times, of all cultures, of every ethnicity, of every race, God, of every age, of every gender. Father, you love your people. We have been made in your image to reflect you. And so God, help us to be a church, a body of people that loves on its community, that loves on one another, that loves on people who are like us and people who aren't like us. God, that loves on people who profess the name of Jesus Christ as Savior and people who've never heard of a Jesus Christ who is their Savior. God, just help us to be a gift of love in someone's life. And thank you for these gifts of love that you give us this morning. And it's in Christ's name.